0: This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. starts at 11 o'clock which is 2 o'clock in New York but we'll give it a few more minutes for people to start funneling in oh thank you thank you Amanda said I was wearing a nice shirt I dressed appropriately the first time I gave a talk um, Jay was really starting to go develop his um, punk theology so I wore a minor threat shirt but since uh, an Op Ivy song is what kind of Inspired this talk, I will But I'd wear it So uh, Is that Is that Caleb, Caleb? How'd the move go, man? Oh, wait Oh, you're still in Minnesota? Okay, alright <laughs> Alright, shirt's getting good reactions I like it, I like it We got 15 people Oh, wow, wow. 12, oh no 3 people didn't like my shirt Product placement Red Bull. So, if they want to sponsor a Revolution shirt, just joking, guys. Oh, how long of a drive is it, Caleb? Wait, that's how long the drive is? Are you kidding? 26 hours from Minnesota to uh, Seattle? This brings up a very important point. Of um, I have no idea the layout of the country. Apparently, so there you go. There you have it. Oh, anyone in the chat? Um, someone said I'm Jessica's friend, and Jessica is my wife. Thanks for joining. All right, what time? Oh, so I'll I'll go over this again right before I start, but I will try to do. The best version of an afterglow that I can after um, the talk. So it might be possible that I will miss any comments that are added. Um, but if it's like really something that you want to address when I'm done talking, feel free to, to spam it in the chat window again so that I could see it. Apologies to everyone else that would see it a million times. But um so Roberta, thank you. San Francisco Giants. It's it's weird being uh, living in New York my whole life and being a Giants fan. It's uh you get a lot of strange looks, which is something that kinda comes up in today's talk, which we'll start maybe we'll give it two more minutes, right? We'll start five minutes after, let all the people that show up fashionably late, um, roll in. Is that a picture of Jess? <laughs> Jess as uh, Anton Shagor from No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, I think um, Caleb usually can field the chat window to to help Um, Jay, but I'm flying solo with that, so I will uh, navigate as I can. Which will not be until after the talk to the um, the Afterglow segment um, so that I don't get distracted and derailed, which I'll do um, to myself enough as I talk anyway. So, All right, Roberta. Are you a Giants fan, Roberta? Or you just live there en route for other arch rivals? Again, tying into the talk, it'll be great. All right, so... We gave it five minutes, right? I don't want to wait too much longer because it just feels like dead air and it'll be um, not the best. Right? Everything's looking good. There's no glare, no terrible audio that I know of. So, let's rock and roll, shall we? Um, So... Normally, I, I make notes and then I translate the notes into much cleaner handwriting. But I didn't do it this time. Uh, slightly lazy, slightly seasonal, COVID, election, depression colliding, making me not want to uh, rewrite everything. So I'll do my best to take to figure out my chicken scratch, which um, I didn't think I was gonna have to do. So, well, my name is Joshua Murray. Um, I do. The website um, for Revolution. I I did a talk uh, actually in Minnesota um, a little over a year ago, and um, and if you have written to Revolution within the last year um, to either through the website or the um, email address, I'm probably the one that fielded that and uh, fielded fielded that and. Responded. So that's who I am. Um, so Caleb uh, made a joke once when we were talking, saying that, you know, um, preachers really only have about two sermons in them. And then everything else is just reforming that sermon. It's like uh, the Simpsons episode when Marge has her power suit. Right. And then uh, she looks so good in it but people are starting to notice that she wears the same thing over and over so she just keeps altering it. So, um I guess that's true because a lot of the stuff that I I like the themes I bring up in this talk will have been in my previous talk as well. Um but you know, Bruce Lee says, uh you don't fear a man that does a thousand kicks. You fear the man that does one kick a thousand times. So maybe it's like that with sermons. And so if you do the same sermon over and over rather than a bunch of different ones, then you won't be a jack of all trades and master of none. So Caleb uh, liked to (laughs) have this idea of giving me uh, a talk on the last Sunday before election. And it's also the first Sunday of the new time slot. So everything is kind of just like... Here, good luck, and we'll be um, on the road. If you need anything, we can't help you. But with the election being only three days away, I was very torn because I feel like it should be brought up. But at the same time, as many people that want to talk about it, there'll be the same amount of people that don't want to talk about it. Um, So I figured that I would discuss it in a way that is not specific to the election um, but is more universal because in three days, no matter what we think or what we feel, half the people in the country roughly will be very excited and the other half will be very upset no matter which way it goes. So it is um, very prevalent and it would be silly to ignore it. Uh, the thing that's been driving me the most crazy about um, the country and politics and just life in general these days is um, the, the division of everything. Everything is so divided that it's just – it's almost absurd um, and it's its something that we've always had to deal with. Like human beings are very um, – intuitively we divide things up into teams and that's why – You know, when asked about the Giants, I was saying that in New York, it seems it's a little hard to be a Giants fan because people are like, but you're not even from San Francisco. Um, Or so the Dodgers just won the World Series, right? And I feel some sort of way about that. I wish I didn't, but I find myself being like, well, at least it was in a shortened year. So it doesn't really count. And um, being in New York also, you have like... If you love the Yankees, you hate the Red Sox. There's no like, well, I don't have an opinion on them because it's your love of the Yankees is almost weighed in how much you hate um the Red Sox. And we see this in everything, sports. We see it in music, you know. Do you like the Beatles or do you like Elvis? Do you like the Beatles or the Beach Boys? It's um it always needs to be butted uh against each other. And when when it happens in religion, it's really bad. And when it happens in politics, it's really bad. And then when religion and politics meet, and that happens, it's so much worse because it really dictates so much about our lives and our mindset. Um, you know, I was I'm reminded of the um, the band Modest Mouse has this song called "Missed the Boat," and um, the line is our ideas held no water, but we use them like a dam, and that's kind of what happens when we have these we these divisions. Is um, our minds it like? There's no point to it. It doesn't. You don't like the Yankees any any more if you hate the the Red Sox more. Like it doesn't make sense. There's it holds no water, but yet we use it to blind ourselves and to really keep ourselves um, from progressing. And like I said, it's it is a um, inherently human thing. There's a um, an Islamic mystic that wrote this book called um, Enough for a Million Years. And he discusses this same principle, saying that a he uses the ocean. So the ocean doesn't categorize the fish or the sea life in it. It just Contains all of them and even goes so far as to saying, you know, a fisherman throws a net into the water and catches fish. The net itself doesn't care about the divisions of the fish. But when the fisherman pulls that net onto the boat and they then they start dividing the fish into like this is good. This is bad. This is a trout. This is a bass. And so it is like a human thing that we do. What helps us... um. I guess see things more or relate things more is we divide them um into groups and factions and teams but Jesus calls us to do more than that um and to be above that you know he calls us to uh love our neighbors as ourselves um uh, but also there is no universal like other or universal neighbor so who is Another for me or a neighbor to me is not going to be the same for everybody. Uh, f- speaking for from personal experience, um, very religious people, um, they're my other. They're the people that I instantly don't trust, don't like. I have a terrible bias against them. But for other people, it might be the LGBTQ community um, or it could be Muslims. It could be um, people from Boston. It could be like... Everyone has their their other, and so where there's no unified way to address everyone's other um, at the same time, there is a principle that we could put above all of it where it does now become universal um, and that's when we learn that to that loving others that we don't even like, but um, loving them is not actually about them or the type of person they are. It has more to do with us and healing within ourselves. And that is something that um, we see time and time again with Jesus and not only what he says, but um, how he lived his life. And it's, it's addressed the most clearly when um, he's, he's asked the question, um, Of who should we... Should we pay taxes? You know, you talk about... um, Like, God being king and everything like that. So, should we pay taxes or not? To try to trick them. And what Jesus says is... Well, let me see the coin that you use to pay taxes. And they give him the coin. And it has Caesar's face on it. So, Jesus goes... Well, this has Caesar's face on it. Give it to Caesar. So, basically, what he's saying there is... To divide up the what I'll call the heavenly politics with earthly politics. You know, This is a Caesar thing. Like That has nothing to do with what I'm discussing, which is loving your neighbor and the way we conduct ourselves. If something is legal or earthly, take care of that. But th- that's not what I'm dealing with here. And uh, we see people use the Bible all the time to actually create divisions that usually stems from the Old Testament, or from letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. The the my feelings on that is and this is my my personal belief it's that like you know if Jesus is who he says he is then he said he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to change it, he didn't come to do anything except for fulfill it. So if that's the case, it doesn't negate everything in the Old Testament at all because there's a lot that we can learn from it. Um But it fulfills it. So if Jesus never discusses or deals with anything that is people you quote in the Old Testament to cause division, then it doesn't matter. It was never really that big of an issue because if it was, Jesus would have addressed it. So like nothing in the Old Testament, as much as we can learn from it, nothing in the Old Testament should ever outweigh or undo what Jesus lived or said. And on the other side... Uh, That goes for Paul, too, because Paul's writing in reflections of lessons that he's learned. So if he ever says anything that kind of is counterintuitive or counteracts what Jesus said and did, then Paul missed the mark because he can't know more than, you know, the fulfillment of the law. So the reason why I also love using Jesus as an example is because it is a universal example. Like I said, if. You believe that he is who he said he is, then you can learn a lot from that. But also, if you think that he's just a great idea that many people came up with, or he really existed, but he was just a human being, all of this that we're going to dive into still works. um, Because we get to see actions, and not just words. With Paul's letters, all you're seeing is his words that he's writing to other people. You don't see what he's doing, how he lives his life, except how he tells you he lives his life. Where with Jesus you have an account of him living out these these principles that he's teaching. He doesn't just say one thing and act another way. And so even if you think that he's just a human being, um, you know, I'm reminded of that movie uh The Edge that David Mamet wrote. And it's about surviving in the wilderness. And the main takeaway from it is that, the, like, no, we could survive in the wilderness because someone else has done it before us. And if, if it's possible for even one person to do, it's possible for everyone to do. And, um you know, so that's the way I look when I see Jesus as a human living out these principles, that even if he did not have any divine parts to him, if he was just a prophet or just a man, just him able to do that shows me that all of us can do that um, as well. So the reason why I think it's great to dive into these deeds and the way that Jesus lived his life is because there are some heavy similarities to uh, today. So uh, first thing we'll focus on is his, his inner circle, his core group of people, the disciples that he handpicked to follow him around and um, to teach um, his messages and the we know about him, you know, he he, he was eating with, um, you know, non Jews with the Gentiles, and that was frowned upon. He was hanging out with prostitutes and that was frowned upon. Um, but what I really want to focus on is the fact that he um, called on tax collectors, and he called on zealots. Now, just a quick um, explanation of that is the land that Jesus lived in at the time was occupied by Rome. So they were limited in their freedom, right? They, they were forced to pay taxes, which went to Rome. And so you had the zealots, which were a violent faction of people that wanted their land back and they were going to take it by any means necessary. Um, And like, Mostly violent. That was their their means of it. But then you had on the other side, you had the Jewish tax collectors, which were seen as kind of like race traders. Um, it's a harsh word, uh, like term, but that's how they were seen because they were occupied by the Romans and then being used to collect money from their own kind to then pay back to Rome. So they were like almost like working for the oppressors to continue the oppression. So they were very um, hated throughout society. But that's where Jesus comes in with this division of like earthly politics and heavenly politics. And he's just like, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Come um, be part of my group because you're important and I need you. And Simon, you're a zealot and you hate tax collectors and you hate Rome. Perfect. Come with me because together we're going to work this out and I think that um that's very important to show that he didn't just pick people that thought like him and he didn't pick people that got along he picked people that hated each other and everything the other person stood for and he was saying that no we're bigger than this and we're going to do great things and he really has a thing where of like using tax collectors because there's the um Zacchaeus right he's uh He's in a sycamore tree because there's a crowd of people. He's a tax collector, short man, and he can't see over the crowd to see Jesus and he wants to see him. So he climbs a tree just so he could watch and Jesus sees him and he's like, come down and we're going to hang out. We're going to go to your house with all your friends and we're going to eat and have a good time and we're going to talk. And so that's another example of Jesus not caring that he's a tax collector or they're standing in society but seeing um, that we're called to be above that and not let these earthly and individual biases ever block us from loving somebody else. You know, when I was preparing this, I reached out to Zoe, I don't know if they're watching right now, just to pick their brain on other concepts along this line. And they pointed out the um, the Centurion, so he's a like a Roman soldier. Who has a servant Who's sick and So they go to Jesus to ask for help And Jesus helps heal This servant which is a big Thing too because he's now like Healing an Oppressor because he just He like he doesn't care about that stuff You know that's that's a Caesar issue That's you know that's a earthly Individual divide we're talking about Like something that's more important and And bigger than this And there's also a an interesting study where people have dove into the history of that time and the wording and phrasing of things. And it might even be that, um, that soldier, it wasn't his servant, but like, um, like a gay lover, which I think is also great because you couldn't probably have even picked, a a harsher thing for the people around Jesus to fathom on top of helping an oppressor, than adding that, um, that on top of it and he was just like yeah I don't care about that stuff someone needs help and I'm going to help them regardless Um, we see uh, Jesus when he um, he, the way he continuously interacts with Pharisees also which were the high priests at the time um, he doesn't always interact with them kindly but he's never preaching like messages of hate he's always trying to teach them and help them learn and these are, are people that have tried to kill him more than once. We know about um, the betrayal and the trial and um, the crucifixion, but they tried to kill him a few times. They almost threw him off a cliff. They were going to stone him, um, but he never lets that stop him from helping them. You know, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he comes to Jesus at night because he's so scared of the other Pharisees knowing that he's talking to Jesus and Jesus is—he's never like, "Wait, you tried to kill me. Why would I help you?" But instead, he—he he doesn't even entertain that thought. Instead, he just helps regardless because uh, that—he uh, doesn't want to get bogged down and blinded by these Caesar issues. He doesn't want his his thoughts to be blind him like like a dam, you know. And um, another funny thing about the Pharisees that kind of fit into today's society too is that the Pharisees and Jesus agreed on almost everything doctrinally they were on the same page where they differed was that the Pharisees believed in an oral history and oral teaching of the um, of the law that's passed down so it would kind of changing from what was originally written and Jesus didn't like that. He wanted to stick to the doctrine. And so even though they agreed on every aspect of the doctrine, except for this little bit, they hated him and wanted him to die. And that's something that we see today still. Like if you're not 100% in agreement with me, then you're my enemy and I hate you. You know, I want you canceled. I don't want anything to do with you. Even though everything else about them might line up except for this, you know, 10% of uh, different thinking. So um, another reason why they hated Jesus, and this is leads us into our next group of people where we learn a lot from Jesus, is they hated him because he was um, from Galilee. And they did not like this city uh, of Galilee it doesn't really say why, but what I think it is is um and we'll d- dive into this a little bit, but there was a, a land of Samaria and they hated Samaritans. They just it's it was a huge thing um that went back forever that they hated Samaritans and Galilee is maybe 40 miles from the boundaries, the border of Samaria. So maybe the Pharisees rounded up and he's basically a Samaritan. He lives so close. And so that's another reason we hate him. Um, And they were, that really was a stumbling block for them. So to explain that, we're going to dive into briefly the history of Samaria because it comes into play um, a few times and it is very relatable for Today, too, because way back in history, Old Testament, um, sorry, the Jewish people in Samaria, there was a a rift, which we'll we'll get to, but they hated each other. And this hatred goes back something like 500 years before Jesus's time. So 14 generations. So the reason why that's important um, to me is that it shows that everybody that's hating Samaritans and Samaria at the time it's for no reason other than the fact that they were told to hate them just through generations like we hate them. There's no ongoing war. There's no anything. It was just you grew up learning to hate the other side, which is something that happens today. A lot of our hatred, we don't know where it stems from. We just know that we have a bias or a hatred towards somebody. So it's it's nothing modern and new by the time Jesus is giving these lessons. Like I said, it's 500 years and the hatred is so intense that it's used as like a, like a racial slur, where they'll say um, they'll say to Jesus, "Like you're a Samaritan and you're possessed by a devil, so why should we? Why should we ever listen to you?" And as another example of Jesus practicing what he preaches, he doesn't take that as an offensive thing. So he's not telling everyone to love their neighbor and love a Samaritan, and then he's offended when he's called one. He does. Instead, they're like, "You're a Samaritan, and you're a demon. So why should we listen to you?" His response is like, "Well, I'm certainly not a demon, right?" He doesn't address the Samaritan part at all because he doesn't want to feed into this rift. And that's what makes the uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan very strong. Is now that we know that for 500 years they've they've hated each other, and so briefly. The story of the Good Samaritan, for people who don't know, is um, a man is walking and he gets mugged. Right, he gets beat up, left for dead out in the desert, and then uh, a high priest walks past him, sees that he's suffering and almost dead, and he's like, "Yeah, I am not dealing with that," and he walks by. Then it says a Levite who is, um, we'll say like a diet priest. You know, they they don't have the same rules and restrictions. As the high priest do, um, but he also sees this man and it doesn't do anything. Just walks on by. It's gonna let him die, and then a Samaritan sees this man, helps them, uh, dresses their wounds, even takes them to uh, an inn, and pays for them to stay there and recover. And so we could see that it's a very specific reason that the Samaritan was used. Because he's teaching this story to people that hate Samaritans, and so it would really hit them differently. And um, you know, I've even heard people try to defend the high priest, which I don't know why you would want to try to rip apart the parable and show reasons why it's not true. Um, but one thing that they bring up is that high priest at the time due to the laws of um, that are stated way back in the Old Testament, again, um, in the book of Numbers, is that a high priest, they can't do anything with a dead or dying person. Then they'll be unclean, um, so they have to avoid that situation. And maybe that's why Jesus also mentions um, a Levite, because they'll be... A, well, yeah, so the high priests aren't allowed to do it, but this other priest would be able to do it. And it kind of covers all the bases... Um, and we get another glimpse of the hatred that they felt for Samaria because he gives this, this parable. And then he asks the man, so out of the three people, who is the one that, you know, did the right thing? And the person says, the one that is merciful. Like you get the feeling that he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan because they don't want to give them any sort of kudos or good job so they just the one that did the right thing was the right person so thinking on that i was saying like about the high priest and how i found people were almost defending that so i went back to the book of numbers and i read that segment on the law um about the high priest not being able to to deal with dead people or touch dead people or dying people. And it is true that it says that it will make them unclean for seven days. It's not a forever thing. There was um, a bunch of steps and cleaning and maybe sacrificing that they needed to do in order to um, cleanse themselves after interacting with a a dead person. So that kind of also um, really helps the case of the Good Samaritan too because then the priest doesn't turn into a, I'm just following my job, my hands are tied, I can't help them, but it kind of turns into a yeah, I could, but then I have to like sacrifice and clean, and it just would be a whole big thing, and I'd rather not do it. Um so we could see that why Jesus used those specific examples and to show like I'm gonna take every person that hates each other and show that I want people to love beyond that. I don't care about these personal issues of, they're a Samaritan, we hated them for as long as I can remember. He's like, mm, I don't care, you still have to love each other, um, even even when you hate each other, right? And I had a, a a thought too, which doesn't really mean anything, but it's just an interesting to to think about is, What if this wasn't just a parable? What if Jesus was speaking from experience? Because he passed through Samaria quite a bit, which was a thing in itself because they were so hated that at the time, people would take these long, winding routes away from there, add days onto their journey just to avoid it. And so maybe the fact that Jesus was passing through a lot, maybe it's something that happened to him and he was he saw who helped him and who didn't again, that doesn't add anything to it. I'm sure if that was the case, it would be mentioned somewhere else. I just had that as a a pretty cool thought um and I'm sure this hatred with the Samaritans since it raged for so long was a two way street but um the feeling that I get is that it was. More like a reciprocated thing like almost like the Samaritans hated in return because of how much they were hated, which doesn't make it any better um but I could think that maybe that's also why Jesus uses that example um a lot because it is a um, a thing that the Jewish people at the time were really struggling with um and so just To go back really quickly again to the history of this hatred is um, there's a character in the Old Testament named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and then each son had a family. Their family had a family, 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 family. And so basically you would end up with 12 tribes of people all leading to a different son of Jacob. So the the 12 tribes. And now um, after... Um, Solomon, King Solomon died. Um, he, after King Solomon died, the, um, and his son was going to con- take control. 10 of the 12 tribes were like, This guy's not for me. I don't like him. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna be part of this. And so they split, and two remaining tribes, um, stayed loyal to the house of David. Um, so when the tribes years and years later, they all unite again, the 10 tribes come back, but the, the two other tribes that stayed, see them as unclean. Like you were out there, you were fraternizing with non people like you're almost like half breeds or, you know, um, Harry Potter fans. that are like mudbloods. Right. Um, the, the terrible, um, slur from that book. Um, and so there is a time, though, when they're united and the two tribes were going to build a temple and the, the other 10 tribes are saying, hey, we'll help you. We believe in the same God. And it was the two tribes that said, no, you're unclean. We don't want your help. We don't want anything to do with you. And so there is that feeling that it was almost like a hatred from one side that was pushed onto another and that was pushed back. And so that's where we get this butting of heads not much different from everything that is going on um, today. And so we also see that same kind of feeling from um, the story of the woman at the well. And so when um, Jesus was heavy into his ministry, there was a time where his following was getting bigger than that of John the Baptist and his followers were baptizing people. And he saw that the Pharisees and the high priest who already had it out for him were starting to notice. And so he was kind of like, all right, I'm going to leave for a little bit, let things cool down. I'll go back to my hometown, um, do some work there, and then um, I'll come back. And so on his way, again, like I said, he passes through Samaria when he goes on these journeys. He doesn't ever go around. And he's walking long journey through the desert, the heat, and he sees a well. And he sees a woman drawing water from the well. And so he goes up to this woman and he asks her for a drink. Now we're going to put a pin in that real quick because I want to show you that this well was a very important um, symbol. This is something that the Jewish people and the Samaritans would have had great respect and know this well. So um, like I said... Jacob, in the Old Testament, he's the one with the 12 sons. Now, one of the first huge acts of forgiveness that we see in the Old Testament is between Jacob and his brother. I won't go into that, but big rift, um, lying, stealing. There's going to be wars and everything. And so Jacob learns to stop being a liar and a scumbag the best that he can. And he goes to make amends. And there's a big forgiveness and Jacob sets up land. Um, <laughs> so um, so he sets up his land and his territory on around that place of the forgiveness. And then that's where he has all his sons are there and um, his family and that's where he lives. So not only is that land a place of forgiveness and unity, but at a time... It was a place where the original 12 tribes lived in a uniform happiness. There was no split. There was no anything. It was the, the early um, moments of it probably maybe before they even had kids that formed these tribes. But it was a place of unified um, acceptance of the 12 tribes. And so now a Samaritan person and a Jewish person would know this about that well. And so Jesus sees this woman, and he asks, "You know, I'm I'm thirsty. Can I please have a drink?" And this is where I get that feeling of that um, the hatred was, even though it's it was a two way street, it was kind of forced on one, because the woman doesn't say, um, "No, you're Jewish. I hate you. Like I don't want that." But what she says is, "I'm surprised that you're talking to me because I'm a Samaritan, and you could see that." So I don't. So she's surprised that. he would engage her because she would assume that he would hate her so much. Um, But again, this is where Jesus shows the importance of um, rising above these earthly politics to heavenly politics. Because this woman is, um, she's in need. She doesn't seem to be hurting or anything, but she has this desire maybe of never being satisfied or needing a quick fix um, or just the, um, we all suffer from it, but we also know people that really struggle with it where they just, they grasp at anything to try to feel better. And they try to stuff, you know, s- square pegs into round holes just to be like, I'm so happy and everything's great. Um, because he is talking to her and he's helping comfort her and minister to her. He's preaching. And then he'll say, why don't, he said, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, uh, oh, I'm not married And he goes, yes, I know you were married to five different people and the person you're living with now is not your husband. And now I truly don't believe that that was any sort of shaming in any sort of way, but it's just showing that like, you're always looking for an answer. You're always looking for a destination that's going to be your end destination and Again, we see that when he's using this metaphor of living water to talk about eternal life and salvation, but she's misunderstanding it. And she's saying like, oh, if you could give me this water, I won't have to keep going to the well and get it. I won't be thirsty. So she has this, this mindset of just like, oh, let's fix this. We could do this. And, um, and so he sits there and he's like talking to her, but the love that he's showing her and the message that he's been giving, um, really shows there too, because, his followers find him talking to the Samaritan woman and the Bible specifically says that they don't question why, they don't ask what he's doing. They just see him talking to her and they don't they like get it. They don't they don't try to convince him otherwise. And that is contagious in that sense too because when the Samaritan village hear about Jesus and his conversation And ministering to this woman. They are so happy. And they invite him and his followers to stay with them. And they stay there for two days after that. So this feeling of unity. Was contagious through everybody. Especially when they knew. That they hated each other. And even if they were feeling love in that moment. There probably was that nagging thing. In the back of their head of like. I know I should hate them. But this guy's awesome. And they are so nice. And this is great. And we want them to stay and it's it is something that the it's not like he preached it, and then all his followers just got it, and they understood it because you know just with stuff that we struggle with, you know morals and like bettering ourselves uh Aristotle right he compared it to playing an instrument or a flute that so you have to practice in order to get better you know uh the playwright Samuel Beckett says uh fail again, fail better, and it's the same we're going to fail." All the time at this, but as long as we keep trying and fail better next time and then better the time after that, because there was a time where Samaritans did chase Jesus out of their town and his followers were like, You know what? They disrespected you. We hate them. Let's rain down fire and vengeance. Call down fire and we will destroy them. And Jesus, he scolds them. He's like, That's not what we do. Like, stop focusing on your earthly politics. I'm talking about something else. You know, give Caesar all that stuff. This is not what we're dealing with. And um, Jesus, again, lives this out as he's getting arrested, right? One of his followers attacks a, a guard to protect Jesus, cuts off his ear. And while Jesus is getting arrested by the people that will beat him and kill him, and who are currently his oppressors apart from that, Jesus takes the time to heal that man's ear and, like, use that as a teaching moment, too, to his followers. To If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Um, When Jesus is getting crucified, he says, Father, forgive them, you know, they don't know what they're doing. He doesn't say, well, forgive the people that are doing this, like, that aren't doing this to me, but they're kind of involved. Everyone that is doing this to me, like... <laughs> Um, no, he, everybody, just forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even um, the story where Jesus goes to the temple and he sees all the shady people and they're selling um, sacrificial lambs and the changing money. He cleanses the temple. He's furious, but then he stays in the temple and teaches from there for a little bit. You know, he doesn't try to cancel it. He doesn't anything. Um, so he is always living this um, you know, Frank Turner, uh, he's a a punk rock guy, modern. Um, he has this song and this album called Poetry of the Deed. And that's what we're seeing is we're not seeing just the poetry of Jesus's words written in red, you know, in the Bible. Like we're seeing the deeds that he's doing that are backing up these words. And this is um, a principle that has been around throughout the Bible, but we just kind of get a little bit blind to it. Um, you know, the story of Jonah... God calls him to go to Nineveh, preach to these people. And Jonah is like, God, I don't know if you know this, but they hate us. We hate them. We always try to kill each other. It's not safe, and I don't even want them to be saved. And um, basically God is saying like, well, that sounds like a Caesar issue. Give that to him. You know, I'm I'm asking you to do more than this. I'm not asking you to be blinded by this, this damn of... Um, Earthly politics We're talking about Loving The people you're not Supposed to love And loving your others So you have to do that And that's more important And um It's Living with these divisions And not falling victim To them Is hard It might be impossible To not do it I don't know I know This talk Is for me Just as much as Anybody else That might need to hear it I certainly don't have this Figured out Um but I know that it, it does hurt us more than anybody else. You know, you know, we might hate the other party. We might hate the other race. But it doesn't really, it's just giving us this poison that's in us. But what happens is we start to feel like a pride in it sometimes. Like, um, you'll see that with people that troll uh, online, on Instagram, social media. You'll see that with sports teams where they'll almost be bragging about how much they love their team by how much they hate the other team. Like, oh, you think you love the Yankees? Well, I hate Boston so much I won't even eat Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. I think that's big in Boston. But, like, you know, there is this, like, this pride and, and this, like, pleasure that comes from this, this hatred. But it's so it's like this pleasure that's coming from something that's just hurting us. And I don't know if it's just because Halloween was yesterday, but it reminds me of the movie Hellraiser with uh, Pinhead. You know, they wanted to reach this pinnacle of pleasure that it just got so intense that they can no longer distinguish what's pleasurable and what's painful. And they live in this, this like dimension where this two are the same thing. And if we have that mindset of hatred, that's the same thing that's happening is we think that we're better than other people. We're, we're living this, this good, just life, but all we're doing is hurting ourselves in the process. And, um, so when, when Jesus sends out his disciples to preach the, the message, um, to people, he specifically tells them, don't go to Samaria And now this isn't because, you know, screw them, let them fend for themselves, but it is more, um, you could imagine if you're living in that time and that society, that if you have a group of people that hate another group of people and you say, go preach to the people that need it and the people that need to hear it and learn, they're going to be like, oh, those dirtbags in Samaria, they're the ones that need to hear it. But he tells them, no, like, focus on us. We have enough to do here. Focus on the people we have around us. Don't assume that they're wrong just because we hate them. Um, and it kind of leads into that thought of specks and logs. How can we remove a speck of of wood from uh, a neighbor's eye when we have this gigantic log sticking out of our own? You have to remove the log from your own eye in order to remove the speck from your neighbor. And an interesting thing is if you think about it too, the problems, like I was saying, it causes more pain for us than the other person. And so if you think about it, if you are if you have this big log sticking out of your own eye and you're in close looking at the, the eye of a neighbor, the huge log in your eye is going to look like a speck and the reflection of their eyes. So it's like you're trying to fix this microscopic thing in them, which is really just you noticing it in yourself at a much bigger scale. And so I don't know what will happen in three days. Um, I just know that half of us will not be happy. And um, I'm sure that the more divisions will grow and more teams will form. Um, but I just know that Unity... And this, these examples of how we can live at this higher level of love um, and unity is what's important. And, um, you know, going with the, my, my punk rock past there, when I was younger, um, you know, me and my friends, uh, we were just a bunch of dirty punk kids. And um, every parent's nightmare is in my cousin's room. We had Sharpie markers and we wrote these lyrics to all these punk songs on their walls now, now being a homeowner, I would lose my mind of trying to think of painting over Sharpie marker that just covered the wall like an assailant asylum. But um, there's this Dropkick Murphy song called The Boys on the Dock, and uh, they have this line, united we stand, divided we fall. I don't know why when I was younger I thought it was united we stand, united we fall, which doesn't make too much sense, but at the same time... Now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of does, because at the same time, yes, we're divided, so it's very hard to stand um, and grow. But also, if we're united in the wrong stance, if we're united through hatred or, you know, team division, then united will stand, but united will fall, all in that, you know, that blind fury of of hatred. And um, so... I I know for me I want to get to a place where if I'm driving and I see a certain bumper sticker or flag I don't like rage and then like get inside and then come home and tell my wife like oh you'll never believe what I saw on the road I hate blah 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 um, and so I want I want to get to that point and I know that it'll be hard um, but you know I'm reminded of this line by this band uh, First Aid Kit they're from Sweden and the line is um, Stockholm's cold, but I've been told that we've been born to endure this type of weather. And um but I know that when it comes to unity and living this higher level and loving people, that it um we were endured we were born to endure that. And the reason I know is because people show up on Sundays to revolution, you know, regardless of what they think and believe, you know, through revolution. I've talked to Um, Atheists, agnostics, witches, Democrats, Republicans, Antifa, um, the Green Party, you know, and Trump supporters and um, people that hate both sides. I just through revolution, I've talked to everyone. So the fact that we have already kind of started to unite regardless, just if it's for, you know, so far, 55 minutes on a Sunday, that's a start. You know, that shows that something in us is was born to endure that kind of hardship that is this separating and focusing on a heavenly politic rather than an earthly politic. Um, and so hopefully um, we can just focus on that and maybe th- think of some of these examples that we saw and that we know that have been done that so we can do it too. And then maybe we can, you know, um, our ideas will actually hold water and they won't just be an empty dam that's blinding us. And um, we could start maybe being contagious with our unity and, and love. And even if it's just winning ourselves of not falling victim to the hatred and then just practicing that love and failing and failing better. And uh, I think we could do it and we'll have a crash course in it in the next few days, but um, I think we could do it. So um, that's where I will end my my message and um, I will answer any, um, you know, we'll, we'll say that this is the afterglow. Um, I will be looking at this chat window and we'll keep it open for maybe, um, you know, as long as people want to talk if they want to. So um, feel free if you, want have something to say if you have questions if you want to push back this is actually a place where you could do that if you disagree with something i said please feel free um you know it, it's a discussion not just a one-way thing even though it's me talking to a camera so um yeah we'll keep this on for a little bit while, uh, a little bit longer and we'll see if anybody wants to uh chat yes i uh I inspire to, uh, for me, uh, unity and, and love and not division, and I hope that um, that came through and is somewhat contagious for uh, anyone that was listening or watching or both. Um, I'm just scrolling back up. I'm not seeing just some... Uh There's no pressure to uh, communicate no or anything like that, but I just want to leave it open for... For a little bit, so sorry if people are tuning in now and then, uh. Oh, thank you. Ray Jackie said, I have no pushback, but I did think that was excellent. Well, thank you. That's very, uh. Very nice to hear. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Jen, my sister. So that was pretty awesome. Well, glad to help out, anyone. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll leave it, uh, maybe, uh, for two more minutes, right? And then it'll be a nice round number, and then we'll, uh, so, so sorry if it's a little quiet and awkward, I don't have uh, any more really to go off of, or stand up routine or anything, so, and uh, let's hope that, I think um, Jay already has moved over, uh, has his boxes all unloaded in Seattle, so that's good, and Caleb uh, will be leaving shortly, so safe travels. And, uh, this will be the new time, um, which will be 11 o'clock on the West Coast. So, yeah, thanks, my mom. And so, um, uh, yeah, so, so 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And, um, so, and then if you're, uh, live on the East Coast, you get to sleep in super late because church doesn't start till two o'clock, so. All right, so I will sign off. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And I'm sure this will be on podcast later on. And hopefully if all goes as planned um, and I don't mess it up, it will be saved to Facebook as well. So take care, everyone, and have a good rest of your day. All right. Bye. I like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com/donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like The Sacred Collective. Growing up, I would pray that Jesus would not come and return before I had sex cuz I wanted to have sex. <laughs> I and, prayed the same thing. And <laughs> I remember and I remember with the first time I had sex when I was 17, I was like, "Okay, God, you can come back anytime you want." And I mean, that was a legitimate prayer. Thanks, God. Thanks for not being a cock block. So you didn't think sex was good enough to stick around for? Just good enough to experience once? Well, no, I wanted to stick around, or I wanted to (laughs) to have sex many more times. But it was one of those things where it was just like, that was just this ultimate bucket list. Like, Brian got to get laid before the end of the world. That was a post-Christian podcast. (laughs)